Welcome to the MentalCast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, and I'm your host, Dan Mickle. MentalCast is a weekly podcast dedicated to the discussions around mental performance, coaching, and other great topics for life learners. For more information, visit danmickle.com and 717soul.com. And you can always reach the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Dan Mickle, with The Mental Cast, and I know it has been a while. Again, I apologize, but sometimes life does happen. Today is episode six, and we are going to talk about sports injuries and the mind, and basically the mental training that it takes to come back from an injury and how injuries affect our minds and the way we perform and the way we rehab. Before we begin, I just want to do some quick house cleaning and some mentions. Um, thanks for everyone for the great response for episode five, Be a Tim. Uh, it was a great discussion and it led to a lot of offline great discussions on creating a culture and being responsible for your actions. And thank you. That was great. Uh, some of you may have noticed we have a lot of new content starting to kick off and we're going to go full speed in 2020 with our quick conversation videos. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you hit our YouTube page and we're going to try and get at least two of them out weekly, but you know how it is with life. So I'm not making any promises, but hopefully it'll be a regular thing. So you want to make sure that you click on the link in the description of this podcast to our YouTube channel and subscribe so you get updates on them. Uh, again, thank you everyone that has bought the Don't Suck Performance Journal. It has gone beyond my expectations completely with sales, and I'm humbled by that. And I also am enjoying the feedback, so there will be some revisions to the book, some little changes, and hopefully the red version, which is the next uh, 16-week calendar, will come out soon. And um, it'll have some new meditations, some new mental training, and also some new quotes and information in the book. So you can buy the green one, which is the current or the gray one. I apologize. The gray book, which is the current one. And then I'm going to have red and a few more colors, which are going to be basically the same one, just adjusting and changing some of the quotes and the meditations so it doesn't get a little stale. So basically, you can use four books for all for an entire calendar year and not have to worry about repeating the meditations and such. Um, our online courses, our mindfulness course is going on sale to our podcast listeners. Just go to campus.soulperformanceacademy.com. Check out the mindfulness online course. And if you enter code podcast 2020, you'll get 50% off. And it looks like we're going to have two new classes launching shortly. I hope to have the Mental Skills Training 101 course by late winter and then the Youth Sport Coaching Survival course ready to go for early spring. So keep an eye out for those awesome courses that are coming online from myself and under the Soul Performance Academy banner. Um, also, some of you may have noticed I'm doing a lot more work under danmickle.com. So basically, a lot of the daily and refreshed content will be on danmickle.com. And then most of the mental training and forms, files, and 
explanations and such will continue on the soulperformanceacademy.com website. So that's the main difference between the two. You'll be able to link to the podcast and the blogs between both of them. But danmickle.com will be the one that's updated on a regular basis with videos, podcasts, and all that. Make sure you hit us up on social media, pretty much everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at 717soul. Use the hashtag don't suck to grab our attention, and you can continue using the ask717soul hashtag if you have questions or want to be part of our next ask717soul episode, which will actually be our next episode. Hopefully, we'll have that right after the holidays and it'll be probably about an hour of just questions from listeners and people that have written in about specific things. It's probably one of my favorite type of shows to do. Uh, and future episodes, our next one that is up will be after this ask 717 soul will be the coaching depression show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how to deal with the ups and downs of the coaching profession and how, regardless of how successful your season is, good or bad, that, that let down or how to cope with the end of a season. And we'll also then, I hope to have our episode after that will be one about talking to parents and how we can bridge that gap between coaches and parents or performers and parents or even uh, educators and teachers and parents. So I know that's a pretty hot topic for a lot of people, so we're going to try and adjust that and need to do a little bit more research before I'm ready to produce that, but I hope to have that one out by mid-January. So my goal is to really build our social media content, both on the podcast, the blogging, and the videos on YouTube. So keep coming at me with your ideas because at some point I'm probably going to run out of ideas and I want to keep things fresh, but it really takes the whole town and community to build those up. All right. So looking at injuries and mental training and mental skills and how they kind of go and feed off of each other. And the first segment I want to talk about, you know, what are some of the things that happen when we get injury aside from the actual physical injury? We see it a lot with high school athletes, whether it's torn ACLs, Achilles or shoulders. And I think we have a really good grasp and changes are being made from the physio side of things. I think sports are safer than they've ever been, and they continue to get safe. I think more coaches are taking seriously working out and nutrition and recovery and a lot of ways to manage their athletes to keep them healthy. But I think one of the parts that we're really, really lacking in is the mental aspect of injury. And we have to look at what happens when a player does get injured and what are some of the signs what are some of the actions and probably the biggest one is isolation a lot of times when a player gets hurt especially in say a club or youth atmosphere they end up getting isolated they they spend most of their time in the training room or at the rehab facility getting rehab and they kind of get disconnected from the team and that obviously has a huge mental effect on it and we're going to look at how to combat some of this um, in the next segment. But um, I just really want to go over some of the, the major topics. And I, th I think isolation is probably the biggest one because we don't really think about it. It's, it's really easy to think about. Like the next one is fear of re-injury. 
And it's really easy to think about that because that goes on everyone's mind. It doesn't even matter if it's a sport-related injury. How many of you have twisted your ankle walking down the steps or stepping off a curb? And then anytime you come across steps or you're stepping out of your car, you kind of hesitate a little bit because you're really afraid of re-injuring that ankle. So that happens a lot with our athletes. And we have to make sure that we work out a plan in a program so that the re-injury aspect of it's kind of at the back of the mind. There's obviously anxiety involved. Even someone that doesn't show signs of a lot of anxiety could probably and most usually do develop signs of anxiety after and during a sports injury. Part of it is because of the uncertainty of the injury itself, how long the recovery is going to take. The other aspect is they may not see gains, so then they're going to get anxious thinking that they're not improving or they're never going to get back. And then obviously the uncertainty of the complete future, you know, is is my athletic career over because of this injury? Am I going to miss playoffs? And lastly, just the anxiety of life. I mean, anyone that's ever broken a, a limb knows how just daily tasks you know, getting a shower, cooking dinner, driving the car can totally be thrown off by an injury. So then there's the anxiety of how the entire life, you know, is going to change because of this injury. Depression is another big one that we have. Obviously, the closer that an athlete or a performer is tied to their identity with the sport, the deeper the depression can go. We've seen the movie Friday Night Lights, uh, For the Love of the Game with with Costner and what happens after an injury and what an athlete goes through when they are literally so tied to their sport. When you say Tom Brady, you think obviously football and obviously there's a lot more that makes up Tom Brady and I pick him really because of how polarizing he is. I am not a huge Patriots fan. I'm certainly not a Patriots hater or a Tom Brady hater, but definitely not on the top of list of favorite players. But he's a pretty polarizing person, and even through everything that he does, whether it's charity or his work outside of that, he's always going to be tied to that football player. So it becomes tough during an injury because, you know, that's what your whole life is based on. And unfortunately, we see that a lot in the high school ranks. A player... The more one sport or single sport athletes we get, the higher levels we have of sports ID because they're just basically known as that player, that baseball player, that football player. And if you think about how many times have you described someone as, oh, you know, that football player, you know, that guy that played basketball at high school. So the, the more that they become focused on a single sport, the more their ID gets tied to that sport and that bond gets really, really tough and hard to break. And they start to think about the injury and how that affects their ID. What happens to the star football player when football's gone? And again, we've seen a million movies about that. And that can obviously lead to a dangerous road down the years when you become a parent and you're trying to relive your athletic life because maybe it was cut short doing an injury through one of your children. And that obviously creates a whole mess that we could spend a a day and a half just talking about. And the last one that I have never really thought about, but when I was looking at the research and kind of thinking about it, uh, made a lot of sense now that I go back and reflect on it. But the paradoxical sense of relief, meaning 
a player gets injured and almost is happy or relieved they got injured because maybe their again their ID was tied too tight to the sport and no one looked at them as a human or as a person or as a student. They just looked at them as that football player or that basketball player. So sometimes there's just this weird sense of relief, like I'm glad I got hurt because now I have no excuse. I don't have to make any decisions. And it's kind of sad that we even have to address that. But again, looking back, I can think of at least three athletes that I went to school with. And I certainly have athletes that I work with now that I think had that kind of relief syndrome where they're glad that their career ended or that their season ended because it was just draining them mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it was an easy out for them to go ahead and take. So those are the the, the common concepts and concerns that we have when we're dealing with an injury. And I don't think any of them, except for maybe that sense of relief paradox, is new to anyone that's been coaching for a while. But really, we just kind of pass it up. You know, well, we'll deal with it when the player returns and we'll build them back up. But really what we need to do is just like the PTs and the therapists train out how they're going to rehab the physical aspect, we need to start looking about how we're going to rehab and train and look at the mental aspect of the athlete. So when we come back after this quick uh, book bumper and break of me trying to sell some more books, we'll look and address the mind plan and how we can map out and lay things for that. So we'll be right back after this quick message. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with Soul Performance Academy. Just dropping you a quick line to let you know that the 2019 Don't Sucks Performance Journal is now available to order online. Help take your game or craft to the next level with this great four-month journal. From goal setting to meditation, this journal is a must-have for anyone who's serious about getting to the next level, whether you're an athlete, a musician, or in the corporate world. Learn more and order online at 717soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717soul.com slash DSPJ. And remember, don't suck. All right, we're back here for segment two, and man, does that guy selling his book have an awesome voice, and I love listening to him. <laughs> Just kidding. I hate listening to myself, and I hate listening to myself try and sell my book even more, but hey, that's why we make the book, right? We want to get it out there and get as much people. So anyway, segment two, you know, well, in segment one recap, you know, we talked about the injury and the concerns from the mental aspect and some of the things that we see. So in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about my plan and how I deal with my clients and my athletes uh, and performers. Again, I apologize. I always say athletes and tend to forget my performers, but I, I do have a good group of clients and organizations I work with that are marching bands and musicians and orchestras and symphonies. And they actually go through a lot of the same things in different ways that our athletes do. And I apologize. It's, it, it, it comes out always as athletes because I'm so used to that. But uh, performers can, can use a lot of this information as well. Um, so anyway, I like to kind of use a five-step plan to combat everything that we talked about in segment one. And for me, it really starts with we want to educate the player or the performer with um, the status of the injury. 
we want to make sure that they have all the facts. And that obviously comes in with um, help from the PT or the therapist or whoever the doctor that is that's working on the therapy in the sense of we need to be realistic of whether or not, hey, we're looking at a full recovery or we're looking at a chance of an 80% chance of full recovery and the other 20% would be limiting recovery. Maybe you won't be as fast or be able to cut as much or jump as high. But other than that, it's pretty much a full recovery. Or is it something that you're really going to have to change your, your lifestyle, whether it's your lifestyle as a performer or an athlete, or if it's just your lifestyle in general. And we have to prepare for that and we have to look at it. And that starts with education both being told and then having the client or the player or the performer go out and research and see, you know, what the clinical information is on it. What have other people done for rehab? What have been the results with someone with the same type of condition? Now, obviously we have to be careful because everyone's different. Me at 46, uh, blowing out my knee probably wouldn't have the same return rate as Adrian Peterson did when he tore his ACL. And that's because, well, his habits are obviously much better than mine, even going in before the injury. So he's worked, you know, used to those hard workouts and the soreness and the rehab where I'm not. So it'd be unrealistic for me to think that I'd be able to rehab a torn ACL and be back on the court or back doing something really active in the same time frame that Adrian Peterson was. So we have to start with that education. The second one, we want to make sure that we're not isolating the player. And I think one of the mistakes that we make from elementary school the whole way up to even the college level is that when someone gets injured, we want them to rehab and we want them to get back on track. So it's easy for us to say, okay, well, while we're practicing or having this game, I want you to go do your rehab. So then the player's constantly in the training room or in the med center or the medical tent and rehabbing while the rest of your team is playing or practicing or working out. And I think that's something that we really need to rethink. One of the things that we started doing in the colleges when someone's rehabbing, and, and obviously there's going to be situations where they need to be in the training room, but when they don't have to be in the training room, whether it's maybe doing a light bicycle ride or some light exercise, we try and get them in the gym so that they can at least still be part of the team, see what's going on, and maybe not miss out on some of the instruction, at least from a tactical standpoint, if they technically can't even you know do what we're asking at this point. Um, the other thing I would highly suggest is have your therapy hours separate of your practice time when possible. If you can get your player to come in and do the therapy an hour before practice, then that way they're back on your field or in your gym, in your gym or on your stage while you're actually doing the instruction and maybe, you know, getting them involved a little bit, finding something for them to do, not necessarily busy work. You don't want them to feel like you're just patronizing them and, you know, here, hold my clipboard and take notes, but maybe finding some of those little odd things that you would love to have done if you had an extra set of hands or eyes to help you and your program. So I would highly suggest making sure you don't isolate your athletes. And obviously, if they are able to travel with you or make sure they can get to games. Again, you have to think, though, what is best. If it's a concussion situation, you don't want them on a long bus ride or in a loud gym or on stage with a lot of loud music going on. 
Um, but if it's not something like that and they're able to travel and it doesn't bother them and it won't hinder their recovery, then, you know, try and get them to your game, get them on your bench, sit on your bench or hang out with the student section, but get them at the game so they can still feel like part of the team. Cause obviously the other part that you're going to run into is you've probably replaced that player with another player and people tend to start to forget what the original player may have brought, especially if they weren't your superstar or top player. So keeping them around in the gym and at games and getting them to speak and, and, and having interaction with the team keeps them fresh in the mind and lets them know that they're still kind of there and part of the team. The third step is actually visualizing the recovery with the client. You know, just like we go through mental skills training with breathing and imagery and visualization for our craft, we can also begin to do that process with the recovery and visualizing what the recovery is going to be like and making realistic visualizations of, okay, this is how I'm going to ride the bike. This is how I'm going to do, you know, the, the step ups or some of the activities that the PT is going to ask. We can visualize that just like we would if we're asking a player to visualize making a layup in basketball. So again, it gets them a thinking like an athlete again because they have the mental training component and having to do the entire program and and go through everything um i think it also sets a good tone for your program because it lets you know that if i get injured i'm not gonna get hung out to dry and you know banished to the training room of misfit toys that you're still going to be an active active part of it so again, visualizing what it's like, okay, week one, this is what I expect. I'm going to visualize myself doing the bands or doing the weight ball or, you know, the balancing board or, or whatever is prescribed by the, TT, the, by the PT. You can start to look at that and visualize that and kind of push yourself on those limits as well. So again, when you're doing those workouts, it doesn't feel like it's brand new to you. Just like when we train mental imagery for a new skill in the sport option number four is i think a typical one that a lot of coaches or directors use and there is a cautionary tale on this but it's to make use of your downtime whether it's studying film or learning some new techniques that once you're back and physically able to you can try them the cautionary tale is making sure it doesn't feel like busy work. Hey, I'm going to have this person go and study and chart this team for our next match. May feel like you're just giving that player something to do because you feel bad for him for being injured. So you want to make sure that there's a there's a purpose. And you don't want them doing something that you normally wouldn't do in the season. If your team is not big on scouting film and writing reports individually during the season. I don't know that having a player come in and do that while they're injured is a, is a great idea. Now, again, if your culture is normally watching film and doing scouting reports, then you have, you know, that injured player continue to do that and maybe go a little bit more in depth because they have more time, get them involved in the timeouts and the huddles and the pregame and the postgame. You know, so they still, again, they feel like they're part of the team and contributing to the team, and the team, you know, recognizes that they're still there and an active part of the team. And then one of the biggest ones is don't compare yourself pre and post injury for a while. I'm not saying never do it, but it'll take a while because that's going to set you back. Because the the fact of the matter is, 
for you to be up to your pre-injury level after a significant injury is going to take some time. Heck, it even happens after a you know a a non-significant injury. A simple rolled ankle can get you back on the court or on the field, you know, fairly quickly in a couple of weeks. But are you going to be at the level that you were completely at before that? I mean, how many times have you heard, oh, that player wasn't the same after that ankle injury, or that player was never the same after that concussion? And that's part of the thing that we have to be careful about, that it's going to take some time to be completely back. So it's ridiculous to think, oh, yeah, I'm back. I've been cleared by my PT, and now I should be right back up in the thick of things and back to my regular training schedule. And we just don't want those comparisons made because it it's going to set them back emotionally, mentally, and then probably physically because they might stop the rehab because they feel like they're not getting better or I'll never play that way again, so why even bother? So it's really, really key that we just kind of keep that self-talk and even the external talk steered away from that conversation until it's a lot later down the road. Um, but that's, that's the plan that I go to and there may or may not be more steps individualized. Um, some players don't isolate themselves right away. So we don't spend a lot of time on that or some players when they're injured, want to hop right back in and maybe coach them, coach up the team a little bit during timeouts and before and after matches. So we have to just, you know, adjust things for that, but we don't spend a lot of time on it because it's already happening. So some of these five steps may take you a really long time and some you may not even really have to address at all. But I think I think education is is the most. We talk to someone that gets a torn ACL and they understand, okay, this is the torn ligament in the knee and the recovery could be anywhere from nine months to, you know, a year and a half or, you know, whatever it may be, depending on the level that you're at and the age of the, the person you're working with. But we don't really have them deep dive into exactly, you know, did something over time call this versus did it happen one time? Um, does it happen to everyone in my family? Is it like a genetic situation? So I think it's really, really important that we educate ourselves on those. And, and that's why I like to start with that. So to kind of walk you through a blueprint of, of how I would do this, let's say you have player A, um, and we'll go to my comfort zone a little bit and we'll talk volleyball. Player A tears his ACL. The very first step, once we obviously get him the medical training and treatment and the diagnosis is done, we just talk about, okay, well, this is what it means. This is, this is how it probably happened. It was probably over time. Is our technique wrong? Were you lifting too heavy and incorrectly in the weight room? And we and we kind of just look at what may or may not have been the cause of that injury and what the long-term considerations are. You know, do you want to have a complete ACL donor replay? You know, do you want to have a repair or replacement? And we just have to learn what's the best option for that period in time and what the specific goals are of that person. If it's someone playing volleyball that doesn't really see themselves playing much after college, say, then maybe we look at the treatments a little bit different. Um, you know, for me with my, I have a torn meniscus and I've just really 
opted not to do anything about it. My highly competitive days are over. So I just kind of pop some Advil or Tylenol or, you know, do, do what I have to do when it gets bad. But I really haven't even thought about ever going under the knife and, and having them looked at or repaired because does it really matter? Uh, I'm not going to be going on any Olympic teams as a player. Um, so it, it just doesn't seem to make, you know, too much sense to just do a one-size-fits-all discussion when we're talking about education for these sports injuries. So after we educate a little bit, we develop what our plan is and really work on not isolating the player. Hey, can you come in an hour before practice, get your PT done, and after you're done, come in, and then you can help me uh, run these drills or you help me score or you can film and give me some feedback. But just like I would plan for an athlete that's training for a match or a game, I have to plan out what I'm doing with my injured players as well. I don't want it just to be the training staff saying, hey, they're doing PT and they're going to be out for six weeks and then just waiting to see if they wander in the gym. I want to give them tasks. I want to keep them show sharp and I want to keep them focused like they're part of the team. And then we begin at the same time visualizing the recovery. Okay, I want you to think about working on the balance board and visualizing and using imagery and even, you know, goal setting. All the things that we talk about in a mental skills toolbox during um, our recovery period and, and how we're going to do it. So really, just like I have my players come in and set their goals for a, you know, a standard practice, my, I want my athletes that are injured to also have their goals. Hey, what are your goals this week? I'm going to try and, you know, ride the bike for 10 minutes each, you know, before each practice, because that would be a 50% increase into what I'm doing now. And I would feel like that's, you know, progress. And also then the normal mental skills training stuff that we do, journaling and reflection and breathing, I still want them to do and take part of. And as much as I can, I want them, uh, involved with the team and visualizing every step of it and, and what their involvement is. Uh, and then from there, I, I look at other downtime. Um, this is a little bit different than the isolation part because the downtime part is also used to help fill up that time maybe at home or when they're away from the team and can really start thinking and getting depressed or having issues getting you know driven to exercise and get back on track. So maybe I assign them film study or, hey, I want you to find and scout this team for me. Or I want you to watch our film and see what maybe we can work on. Or, hey, you know, give me some pros and cons of this lineup and what you're seeing and what you think. And in a sense, it is just busy work to keep them off of, you know, just sitting on the couch or sitting in their bed playing video games, you know, depressed, thinking about, this injury and they have no idea what they're going to do. So again, make sure you have a plan. And again, this is also an area where we're always complaining that we don't have enough assistant coaches or enough time in the day that maybe you kind of look at this and say, Hey, this is what I need from this player. Now realize that certain players are going to have a hard time doing that. You know, if I'm a pitcher and I can no longer pitch because I blew my shoulder out and I'm in rehab, it may be hard for me to work with pitchers. And that seems like the logical thing. Hey, you're a pitcher. You should work with pitchers. You can help them. 
but being around those pitchers might actually mentally, you know, bring that player down a little bit because he's seeing his teammates doing what he was doing just, you know, a week ago until he got injured. So maybe you can find a job that isn't directly related to the position or or what they were doing in your on your team or in your group and organization. And then we decide when we're going to do the evaluations. So step five, you know, is about making sure we're not comparing pre and post. Again, I don't really talk about, hey, this was what your time was on the shuttle run before you got injured, and now you're five seconds slower. Again, they might look at that and say, well, I should be only two seconds slower, and you might have a setback on that. So you have to decide when you expect to start integrating that player back in not as integrated as a player returning from an injury, but integrating that player back just as a regular member. Because there are those stages, you know. You go from the PT to, to being part of the program, but not in the athletic aspects, to being part of the program, but maybe limited in the aspects. Maybe you can only play back row if you're a volleyball player because you know you're coming back from a knee injury, so you can't play front row. So you're integrated, but you're not fully back the way you were. Um, and then the next stage is when you fully integrate them, you're still going to have to deal with some lingering issues of the sense of, oh, this is how I blew my knee out last time, so they might be hesitant to jump or cut a certain way. Or, you know, this was the drill design that I was doing in marching band and the move that I was making when I blew my knee out. So you're a little bit hesitant on actually making that move or that turn. So we have to make sure really that we are integrating them properly each way and working with them each way. Hey, look, I know you're limited right now, but I need the best 50% that you can give me. I don't... I. I like to use the term, and and my players and clients are used to it, even though it may not make sense right off the bat, is I need 100% of your 50% right now. If you can only play one position instead of two, or you know, you're working your way back as a quarterback and you can't really throw the long ball, well, then I need the best short ball or the best handoffs that you can do. I need 100% of what you're able to do. And then we'll worry about growing that 50% so that you can give me 100% of 100%. So that's kind of like the weird way I present it with my players and and with my clients. And over time, it it makes sense and, and they kind of get it. So you have to figure out how you're going to lay out that plan and, you know, what verbiage that you're going to use and make it unique to yourself because that's what's going to make them stick. But really, the big thing is just continue to monitor and keep those players involved. Um, Another big thing is, I know schools can't afford it, but if you have a sports psychologist or a mental trainer, depending on HIPAA laws and what you're, you know, what's signed off on and what the PTs are willing to do is coordinate with the PTs and know that, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm doing... I'm doing the really rough stretching routine, the deep stretching routine. So this player's, A, physically going to be hurt, but probably mentally exhausted too. So that way you can work on a plan and say, okay, well, I think for this one I'm not going to overload them with things that I want them to do. Maybe I'll just have them observe and you know point out things as they see them, as they need them. Or it's one of those where the PT person's like, hey, we're going to have a really, really rough session on Wednesday. They could use a little bit of love and you end up changing your practice plan to really focus on having fun, 
but also lifting up that player, especially if they're one of those that are returning and they're, you know, back in the sport playing at 50%. So you just want to make sure that you have all those settings and environments fine-tuned for exactly what's going on, both long-term and short-term, and working with the PT to figure out that, you know, this would probably be a good day not to stress them out with analytics or film breakdown because they're going to have a rough physical session is probably the way to go. And then, you know, other times it's the opposite. They have a rough PT session and they want to be driven. So you work them really hard to remind them what their goal is and what they're working for. But that's probably the main the main plan. And, and that's, again, the blueprint that I like to use. And just like a mental training plan, when I work with teams, I have a you know my philosophy and how I work with players. And I do work with clients that I don't do mental training for the regular basis, but I do strictly mental training for injury recovery and injury rehab. Um, and it's sad. I, I enjoy that work. It's just it's sad that I have to do it because I don't want to see anyone get hurt or have to come back from the, an injury. But it's just like mental training – as a whole is not taught a lot and we're still growing. It's even slimmer of a margin when we talk about mental training for injuries and the science is out there that, you know, it's a huge component of our recovery and what we do. So if you have any specific questions, make sure you, you know, shoot me an email or hit us up on any of our social media and we can talk about, obviously we want to protect the, the privacy of your players, but we can talk about specific situations or in general terms, or maybe even a plan that you want to institute or, you know, I can help you write up and this is your protocol. Okay. As soon as someone gets injured, we know what our protocol is from the PT side. Now this is our protocol from the mental side. So I hope you enjoyed this. Um, we'll be right back again after that awesome guy comes on and tries to sell you a few more journals and we'll close out this podcast with a recap and a look at what's coming forward. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with Soul Performance Academy. Just dropping you a quick line to let you know that the 2019 Don't Sucks Performance Journal is now available to order online. Help take your game or craft to the next level with this great four-month journal. From goal setting to meditation, this journal is a must-have for anyone who's serious about getting to the next level, whether you're an athlete, a musician, or in the corporate world. Learn more and order online at 717soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717soul.com slash DSPJ. And remember, don't suck. All right, we're back. And man, if that doesn't make you want to click on that blurb link and buy a Don't Suck Performance Journal, I don't know what will. <laughs> um, so yeah, in closing, you know, I just want to talk about just recapping. Remember, isolation, anxiety, fear of re-injury, depression, and even that crazy paradoxical sense of relief are all signs, symptoms, results of a sports injury from the mental side of things. But just like anything, we can have the blueprint and a plan from like, you know, having them visualize the recovery, keeping them involved with the team, educating them about the injury, um, making sure they have something to do in the downtime and not comparing pre and post injury for a while are all great management and coping mechanisms. So I hope at the very least you kind of think about what you've done in the past and maybe how you might want to change things moving forward to help your athletes in those uh, situations. 
Again, I got to recap. Don't forget we'll have those two new online courses coming out late winter and then early spring. Late winter will be the Mental Skills 101 uh, training. I believe it's going to be eight different modules going from everything from goal setting to journaling to breathing and relaxation to communication. And then the youth sport survival course will be everything that is not specific to a sport. Like we'll talk coaching philosophy and practice and season design and a lot of things that I think get missed when we have coaches that are new to a sport or new to coaching and they go and get all these great skills trainings and how to teach your specific sport or your or your instrument or your you know what you're doing on stage as a performer but we don't look up all the things around that that can happen and help us be successful beyond those. So that's kind of what that uh, course is going to be geared. You can get our best-selling mindfulness online. It's our eight-week self-paced online mindfulness class. If you go to the link that's provided, um, all our online courses are at campus.soulperformanceacademy.com. But if you enter podcast 2020, you'll get the course for about 70 bucks. That's 50% off. Uh, it's a great course. I highly recommend it. If you are looking something for maybe a team, contact me and we can certainly give you a deep, deep discount for coaches, multiple coaches, programs, teams, clubs uh, from top to bottom. And it's a great self-paced resource. Remember our social media contacts, 717soul is pretty much it across the board, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtags don't suck. And if you want to ask us or get on our episodes of Q&A, use the hashtag ask717soul. And who knows, maybe someone out there in the interweb will also be able to talk to you about how maybe they dealt with the situation you were looking at. And it'd be a great dialogue. Episode 7 will be our next Ask 717 Soul show. So it'll be a whole show dedicated to the questions that we've received via email, social media, and the Ask 717 Soul hashtag. And then our next future episodes, we're going to go with coaching depression and how to deal with you know, the ups and downs in the season and especially the end of the season and how it ends. And then we're going to have our how we're going to talk to parents and kind of bridge this gap between parent and coach and parent. And, and director uh, communications and, and how we can change that dynamic to better for everyone. And don't forget to check us out at danmickle.com and 717soul.com or soulperformanceacademy.com. Uh, the 717soul.com pushes you to the long URL. I just know there's a lot of people like me that hate typing in this super huge URLs. And so 717soul.com, danmickle.com. And please feel free to comment, leave feedback, especially on iTunes. I would love to have some reviews, take the time. I know everyone hates hitting the stars and typing in something, but it really does help us grow this and pump this out if we can get more than just people hitting five stars or four stars and actually leaving comments in the discussion. I really would appreciate it. Lastly, this is kind of time sensitive. So if you're not listening to this right away and you're listening to replay, I'm sorry. Don't forget we are having a huge giveaway. So check our Facebook page and it'll be awarded on January 1 of 2020. And it's a Chromebook and some journals and everything. It's just a huge pack uh, package. All you got to do is give us some likes, shares, and loves on social media and email, and you can get your chance to enter. So again, thank you for taking the time. We're trying to keep these podcasts, you know, a little bit shorter than the old ones that people that are commuting can get in, get out. 
but really I want them shorter so that it's not just me, you know, word vomiting everything out. I would love to have discussions on this and feel free to keep the discussions active on all our social media. Thanks everyone. And talk to you later. And remember, don't suck. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. Please remember to follow us on all social media at 717Soul and drop by our Facebook and Twitter pages to leave us your comments and your show ideas. And don't forget, the official Don't Suck Performance Journal is now available for purchase online. Visit 717Soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717Soul.com slash DSPJ for more information and to order your copy today. Have a great Great day and remember, don't suck.